could be in a meeting with 10 different uh, workers who are from eight different missions organizations, and nobody knew which organization each of them was from. Nobody cared. They were just glad to have some brothers and sisters who are part of the kingdom. Does that make sense to you? I mean, you can imagine when you're living in an environment where the Muslim call to prayer is ringing out over the city five times a day, saying, Allahu Akbar, and uh, you know, beckoning people to come and pray to Allah, that when you're a believer and Jesus is your Lord, that you know, when you find another believer, you're just happy. You don't care what their background is. You're just glad. And so all our little denominational lines, all our little tags, they kind of just, when there's pressure, those things kind of just fade away. You know, and you can tell how, the level of pressure on a community by how petty they act. If, if there's no pressure, you'll be pretty petty. But if there is pressure, all that petty stuff that bothered you yesterday will not bother you tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Amen. Well, let's just take up the, uh, uh, let's just do the altar call now. There we go. Just end with that. And, and so you get in these environments where, I mean, it is aggressive against Jesus. Antichrist spirit is strong. Declaration of Allah all over the place. And the, the lines blur and you're just glad to be with another kingdom friend. It doesn't matter. And, and so here's what we've got to tune ourselves into. Because in the West we're so branded and so used to, you know, marketed and labeled Christianity. I'm of this one, I'm of that one. And we fall in danger of what Paul was trying to correct the Corinthians on. You know, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of this one, or I'm of that one. Well, guess what, beloved? There's a kingdom, and we just need to be of Jesus. Amen. And here's the thing, is that in the kingdom, there is real authority, there is real agendas, there's real governance, real governance in the kingdom. There's... there's there's real leadership, there's real roles, there's real participation with the king in his plans. The movement of the church in terms of what the church is to be about is ultimately about what the king is about. The church is to move forward with what the king is asking for the kingdom. He, there's an agenda that the king has. The king has an agenda and he's moving things forward according to his agenda, according to his plan. And if we're in that place where we're saying you are our king, we are a part of your kingdom, guess what we need to be about? We need to be about his agenda. And so it just clarifies things. And there's all sorts of initiatives and all sorts of roles and all sorts of ways that we can connect in the kingdom and, and all sorts of different things that the, the the Lord wants to do, the king wants to see happen. He, he wants his value system and, and his power and his glory to be manifest everywhere in all, a myriad of ways. But we've got to get this in our mind. There is an end to this age that our king has in mind, and there are action items on the kingdom to-do list that he is releasing in the earth that's bringing us to that end. And that end isn't the end of all things. It's the end of this age because the next age starts with the kingdom of God manifest in the earth and Jesus Christ ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. This is what we're a part of, beloved. An ever-increasing kingdom and Jesus our king is coming to rule and reign. We, we really got to get on this point. 
because then our activity in the kingdom, it, it takes on a, a much greater life than just sort of showing up to a service here and there or sort of making it through the week without cussing or saying, you know, seeing an R-rated movie. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, the bar of Christianity is just so low. It's like, if you're just sort of a moral, nice guy, then you're a good Christian. And I just, I mean, I, I want us to be moral, nice guys. But I want us to engage with the heart of the king and be about what the king is about. And he is about releasing his governance across the nations of the earth. And he is about giving... He is about obtaining the inheritance his father has promised him, which is a bride from all tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations. And he's got action items. Now, so with that foundation in mind, I want to look at Amos 9, because Amos 9 gives us one of the critical points about the the leadership of the kingdom. And uh, I'm going to go a little fast. I shared this with my kids the other day, and they got it, so I know you can get it. So just hang on. If I go a little fast. Amos 9, verse 11. Now this is a a verse that's talking about when Jesus returns. It's actually talking about the time immediately after he returns. And oftentimes when you see the in that day or on that day, it's talking about that season of time in which the Lord returns. And oftentimes it's a, it's, it's, uh, kind of that, that stretch of time from just before he returns uh, to, you know, till after he returns. There's this season that on that day, that it's talking about this season of time in which the Lord returns. And, and this one specifically is talking about right after the Lord returns. is on that day, I will raise up, the I is Jesus, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. I will raise up the tabernacle of David, repair it as in the days of old. Now the tabernacle of David, just as a refresher, 33 and a half years, night and day, worship and prayer, that David set up as the centerpiece of his kingdom, where they worshiped the Lord with singing and musicians, instruments, singing prophetic songs, singing many of the psalms that are in the Bible, before the ark of the Lord, with the glory of the Lord dwelling there. They were actually engaging with God before the ark. For 33 and a half years, it was David's, it was the center reality of David's kingdom. And basically what we have with the tabernacle of David is, uh, you know, just like the, the kingdom of God is uh, run from the throne room, the Lord reigns over the universe from a place of ceaseless worship and prayer in his throne room. Holy, 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 they cry out night and day, they never cease around the throne. On the earth, it's the same exact thing in David's time. Night and day, they never ceased worshiping and praising. And it ends up being the place from which David governs and God gives incredible victory and authority in the kingdom of David. And and David is a picture of Jesus. We find that in Isaiah 55. that, That David was a type of Jesus. So when we get into Amos 9, and it says that he says, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to set up the tabernacle of David just like what David had. Now this is a critical point, because when Jesus comes back, he's coming back to rule and reign. 
And he's coming back to rule and reign from a place of worship and prayer. Now, I want to give a few more verses just so you you, you kind of get your mind that this is really well established in the scripture. Look at Isaiah chapter 16. Isaiah 16. I'm going to give you that one and I'm going to give you Zechariah 6. But these are very clear words of prophecy that make it just so evident to us biblically that when Jesus returns, he's going to set up night and day prayer as the centerpiece of his governance on the earth. Isaiah 16, verse 5. In mercy, the throne will be established, will be established. That is a future throne. In mercy, the throne will be established. And one, that's Jesus, will sit on it in truth. Where? In the tabernacle of David. Judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. So once again, now through a second prophet, we have this point that when Jesus returns, he'll set up his throne, he'll set up the tabernacle of David, and this is where he's going to reign from. He's going to rule and reign from the place of worship and prayer. It's going to be on earth as it is in heaven. We will have the heavenly throne room from which the Father runs and uh, you know, rules and reigns, and in that place there will be 24-7 worship and prayer, and then we'll have the earthly throne room, which is the tabernacle of David. Jesus will be there. There will be night and day worship and prayer. That governmental center will be over Jerusalem. That's going to be a really strong central government. Amen. This is what's coming. The kingdom of God will be set up on the earth in this manner. That whole idea that we turn into sort of, you know, like I say, fat babies, you know, floating on clouds, wearing togas, playing harps, and sort of wispy experience of who knows what, like just floating around, and this is heaven or something, and there's some guy with his wings. That's just false. Heaven's coming here. The kingdom of heaven is coming to earth. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, is going to rule and reign. Let me give you one more. Zechariah 6. Zechariah 6, verse 12. It'll come up on your screen. Third prophet giving us this key point that when he comes back, he is going to rule and reign from the place of worship and prayer. Thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 12. Saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, that's Jesus. The man whose name is the branch, from his place he shall branch out and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Temple of the Lord, tabernacle of David, same thought, same idea. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord, he shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne. Now that phrase may not seem like that big of a deal. He shall be a priest on his throne. But that revelation was, uh, I mean, a big one. And here's why. Priests don't rule in government. And kings don't do priestly stuff. Remember when Saul tried to do the sacrifice? So there wasn't a cross between the offices of king and priest. Well, beloved, there is a cross between those offices coming because Jesus Christ is the king of kings 
and the Lord of Lords, and he's the high priest of our confession, a, a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is, is the, the priest of the kingdom and the king of the, of the kingdom. He happens also to be the sacrifice of the kingdom. <laughs> the king is the priest, is the lamb. Come on. Well, I mean, come on. I mean, I'm really preaching way better than... Okay. So, and then it says this interesting phrase, and the council of peace shall be between them both. What's that mean? The council of peace shall be between those two offices. What that's saying is this, there will no longer ever be a separation between church and state. The government of God will be run from the tabernacle of David. He'll rule and reign over the universe from the place of worship and prayer. That's powerful. This is the way Jesus is going to set it up on the earth. What's the way the Father's got it set up in, the heaven, right, in heaven right now? This is the way the kingdom is run. Let's just let's pause for a minute. This is the way the kingdom is run. From ceaseless worship and prayer around the throne. Let's, let's just time out. I know how we've run church. But the way the kingdom is run is night and day worship around the throne. The way David ran his uh, rule what in his reign on the earth as, as God's chosen king was from the place of night and day prayer. When Jesus returns, he'll reestablish night and day prayer. This is the way the kingdom is run. Huh. Well, why? Why is the kingdom run this way? That, there's a myriad of, I shouldn't even ask that question. That would take me like 10 weeks to answer. There's a myriad of answers. One of them is God wants the interaction. He wants the interaction between humans and himself. So he runs his kingdom, an unbelievable thought. The uncreated God runs his kingdom in partnership with people. Who love him, worship him, and ask him to release his will. That's how he runs his kingdom. Stunning. I mean, that, that is a shocker. I mean, no president, hardly, of, of any nation is like, you know, just going, I'm only going to do whatever the people ask me to do. No, but he's not just a president. He's God. And this is the way he runs. His kingdom. Now here's a little caveat. When we pray according to his will, he hears us. So he kind of has a way of getting it done the way he wants it done. Amen. It's not just sort of your own thought. God, give everybody customer Mercedes Benz. That would be weird. No, when you pray according to his will, he hears us. And if, he, if we know he hears us, we know we have the request for which we've asked. So the caveat is we pray according to his will, but he wants to do it with human partnership, beloved. He wants to establish his will on the earth with a human agreement, human friendship. So this is what's coming. Now, it's so evident right now in the earth that we are in a prophetic moment and, and, you know, you might think, well, gosh, you, you guys say that we're in a prophetic moment a lot. And, and, and the reason why that we say that a lot is because we are. 
We are in a prophetic moment. I mean, it may be a 50-year prophetic moment, but Jesus Christ is about to culminate this age. Beloved, this is a prophetic moment. You're living at an important time. I don't think you're hearing me. You're seriously alive on the earth at an essential and critical hour. And because, you know, we may not feel the pressure or the intensity of that so much, I'll tell you something. There are things happening in the earth that have never been before. Well, you're sitting in the middle of one. This isn't by our own doing. This is by the grace of God. But you're sitting in a seven-year prayer meeting that's never been ever in this region ever before, not since Genesis 1. Like, really? Like, where did that come from? Well, it's because there's agenda points of the kingdom that God is releasing in the earth. Now, we're in this moment that's a transitional moment. Hear this real clearly. We are in a transitional moment in the earth. There is a transition happening in the way Christianity is, is actually being walked out. The, the way that Christianity is being expressed is, is shifting. And one of the key things that God is transitioning is the, the worship environment of the kingdom. The worship environment of the church. It's not simply, uh, this is where he's transitioning it from. He's transitioning it from a congregational style worship to throne room style worship. And he's, he's transitioning it from, um, you know, time where you go to worship to worship happens all the time. He's transitioning this thing in, in, a, in a big way. Like I was thinking about, you know, like 20 years ago, one of, the, um, one of the sort of whatever top 10 Christian worship songs, whatever you want to call it, one of the, the, the uh, popular Christian worship songs was, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. I took back what he stole from me. I, I, I took back what he stole from me. I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me, and he's under my feet, under my feet, under my feet. Woo, I like that song. It was fun. Sang it a lot. We still sing it sometimes, too. It's fun. But the, the, the main subject in that song is I. He's transitioning it from a us congregational reality to a heavenly-focused God-centered reality. So whereas before there'd be lots of songs we would sing about I, there's now many, many songs we sing about you and him. And instead of singing I went to the enemy's camp, we sing beauty, beauty, beautiful, glory, glory, glory. So we sing to him. He's changing it to throne room style worship that's about Jesus. Well, the other thing he's changing it to is 24 hours. He's making this thing happen on the earth 24 hours a day. And beloved, for us to be in like Beirut and they're pushing towards 24-7. And for us to be in Cairo and, and, and they want 24-7. I mean, you're talking about crazy places in the earth where there's been major persecution towards believers and major challenges. And they're pushing toward night and day prayer the Lord has sent out the signal that there is a shift happening. I was convinced of it before, but I'm even more convinced of it now. And why? Why is he shifting the worship, the music of the kingdom? Why is he shifting it to night and day in throne room? Because he's getting ready to come here. It's the way he likes it in heaven. So he's shifting the atmosphere of it here so he can come here. He's, he's setting it up for the way that he likes it, beloved. That's what he's doing. 
He's setting it up on the earth right now for the way that he likes to govern from because he's about to bring his governance in full to the earth. This is what's happening. No, this is really what's happening. There has never, ever, ever been a prayer movement like what you're seeing in the earth right now. It's never been. I mean, I mean, just every nook and cranny. I mean, <laughs> multiple houses of prayer in these places, and they want 24 hours a day. Why do they want 24 hours a day? Because he wants 24 hours a day. He's shifting things, beloved. He's shifting the atmosphere of the earth because he's getting ready to come to the earth. Now, I want to make something really, really clear. Very clear. We are not rebuilding the tabernacle of David. Jesus will come and rebuild the tabernacle of David. But what we're operating in is the same spirit that Jesus is going to rebuild, that Jesus is going to release when he rebuilds the tabernacle of David. We're operating in that same spirit now. There is a ramping up of that reality until it happens in fullness. Does that make sense? We're not rebuilding the tabernacle of David. There will be one tabernacle of David that is rebuilt. It will be in Jerusalem. Jesus will rebuild it, and he will sit on the throne in that place. But what he's done is he's releasing this transition. He's releasing this shift, and it's the spirit of the tabernacle of David that he's releasing across the earth right now. And that's what this grand mosaic of worship and prayer is. It's, it's a global release of that spirit of the tabernacle of David that will be culminated with the full release when he sets it up in Jerusalem. So we're not rebuilding the tabernacle of David, but we're operating in the spirit of it. Does that make sense? And so now, why is that important? Let me give it to you in verse 12 of Amos 9. Flip back over there. Amos 9, verse 12. And I think you've got a map back there. And if you could just get that map ready. Uh, So verse 11, he says, I'll rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, restore it as at the beginning. Verse 12. That they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Now, if you just look up here at this map, Israel is on the left. Jordan is on the right. Lebanon is uh, at the top. And you can see where Syria shares borders. Saudi Arabia, the far right. Well, the biblical names, Ammon, Moab, and Edom, are all in Jordan. In fact, we were in Ammon, and we went to Moab. Uh, Actually, right about where that word is, uh, you can see, maybe you can read it, it says Al-Karak, you may not be able to see it, but there's a, a city there to the left of it, right to the left of the word Moab, and we were actually there, and that's the, the first site of, of the crusade uh, battles, uh, the first crusade battle, battlefield. So the Lord says, when he returns, he'll set up the tabernacle of David, and it's from that place of worship and prayer that he's going to possess the remnant of Edom. He's talking about Actually, the breaking forth of the kingdom of God and salvation coming and these peoples in these areas 
actually coming to, to know and love Jesus and the possessing of the Gentiles who are called by his name. He's talking about the surrounding regions. In fact, when the Lord returns, uh, those that are left, 100% of the nations will bow the knee to Jesus to start the next age. And he's going to do it from this place of worship and prayer when he returns. Now, if you look up the names of these places and you look at the time just before he returns, you find out that there are major judgments coming to those areas. Uh, In fact, Isaiah 63, it says, who is this coming up from Basra? Basra is the capital of Edom, right about where that word Edom is on the map would be where Basra is. And it's Jesus in his, in his earthly uh, procession where he's coming across the nations. After he returns, he's actually coming across the nations. He's actually treading the nations who have arrayed against him. And he's coming up. He's actually going to come right up through Edom, Moab, and Ammon and right on over to Jerusalem. And it's clear that he is treading the nations. He is trampling them. He's crushing them. And so there's many negative words over these areas, and then there's these also positive words. And so here's how it looks, and I just got to say this uh, just as clearly as I can and as quickly as I can. Zechariah 13 tells us that there will be major holocausts in Israel, and that will come at the hand of Antichrist. Two-thirds will be cut off in Israel at the hand of Antichrist in the time just before the Lord returns. Isaiah 63 tells us that Jesus will come and return and he will trample many nations and there will be major judgments of the Lord that will come at Jesus' hand. Well, Zechariah 13, it gives us, because we recognize there's major holocaust coming, it gives us the the heart posture. We're compelled to pray and believe God for a breaking of revival in Israel before that time when many are cut off in the land. Well, just as we recognize that's coming to Israel, beloved, that is also coming to these nations. Many will be cut off. And so it compels us to pray for a breakthrough of the gospel in these regions before the Lord returns. And then after he returns, he sets up the tabernacle of David on earth as it is in heaven, night and day worship, and he will possess the entirety of these lands. Are you tracking with me? So we're compelled then because we recognize what the kingdom agenda is and these things that are going to happen are, we're compelled then to agree with the God who is mercy. He's always looking to release mercy. Always. He will have an inheritance from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He will have that. He will have a bride that's representative of every people group on the earth. But when we see these things, I tell you, beloved, it should cause us to perk up and recognize that we are in a very, very unique hour in the earth. And I am uh, blown away by the number of workers that we met on the ground in these areas. They recognize you can't bring down Islam with just a running here, running there, going around, trying to share the gospel. Though the gospel is the power of God to salvation, 
They're, they're running here, running there, and they're getting almost no effort and I'm blown, I mean, no effect. And what I'm blown away by is their recognition that they've got to actually pray to, to crush that stronghold so the ground troops can come in and share the gospel with power. Beloved, Islam is the most aggressive prayer movement the earth has ever seen. Five times a day, the call goes out. It echoes all over the cities. Allahu Akbar. And then they call the people to come and bow down and pray to Allah. And nobody has a problem with it. The entire society is integrated with the, the worship of this false god. When somebody gets converted from Islam, it's like they're trading in their nationality. It's that deeply ingrained in their societies. It is the most aggressive prayer movement the earth has ever seen. Well, what's the Lord's way to bring it about? He goes, or to, to bring it down. He says, I will raise up the tabernacle of David and they will possess the remnant of Edom. The way the Lord is going to bring down that prayer movement is by raising up a greater prayer movement. Now that's it. It's going to crush the strongholds, the principalities in the atmosphere and send in the ground troops when the skies are clear to release the power of the gospel and many shall be born again. He's going to release a stroke of mercy. He's going to release a stroke of mercy because that's his name. In mercy, his throne will be established. And here's where I'm at. I'm so in recognition and just being there in that land and, and just feeling it, seeing it, experiencing it, we weren't really ever in danger. Egypt was a little dicey. But it demystified everything. I am more convinced than ever that the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will break the rock of Islam. And that's why the Lord has combined these ideas of night and day prayer. He's releasing the spirit of the tabernacle of David unto the launching of, global, of the global proclamation of the gospel. In this gospel, the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness, and then the end shall come. Beloved, this double barrel of night and day prayer and gospel proclamation, it's what the Lord is doing in this hour to prepare the earth for his rule and his reign. And there are so many in the kingdom, I mean, literally thousands in the kingdom of, of communities, thousands upon thousands of communities that are thinking like this, and I just look at it and I just go, Lord, how did we bumble into this in this hour? Only by grace. Only by grace. I want to just give you this parenthesis on grace. I'm recognizing this. Only by grace. Grace will be the trophy in the trophy case. To the praise of the glory of his grace, it says in Ephesians 1. That will be the banner over our life. But here's how grace works. Grace <laughs> saves you. Grace points you in the right direction. Grace enables you to labor more abundantly than others. That's what Paul said. This idea that grace gives you this vacation and you just sort of sit back and just get complacent, that's a bunch of bull in the name of Jesus. Now, grace enables you to labor more abundantly. And then this, grace brings an effect of your labors far beyond anything you really accomplished. 
You do what in your heart is a level 10, and if you would get level 10 natural results, it wouldn't scratch the surface on the need, but what you do is by grace, you do a level 10, and God releases a level 1 billion harvest. That's grace. And it takes a heart abandoned with a yes, saying yes to grace, all for you, Jesus. I'll give myself completely for you, and then you, you do the results. You know what we do? We do it backwards. We go, if I work this level, then I'll get these results. And these are the results I want to get with my labor. That's a bunch of junk. Do this. Say, God, what are you wanting of me? What's my role in the kingdom? What's my place in the kingdom in this hour? What are you asking of me? When it makes it clear, go, yes, 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 yes. And let him worry about the results. Because he will release results a million times more than you've ever dreamed. I mean, how are six or seven out of ten, we, we met this one uh, leader that seven out of ten of the Muslim background believers in their church, seven out of ten had had encounters with Jesus in the night. Where's that coming from? I think it probably has something to do with this global prayer movement. It probably has something to do with people crying out night and day for the 1040 window. It probably has something to do with God saturating the atmosphere of the earth with heavenly incense and it's landing on those precious people in their night and they're seeing Jesus in the night visions. This thing is going to increase. Look, Acts 2, he says, I'll pour out my spirit in all flesh. Sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Look, we are ramping up and the dreams. I am seeing Acts 2 as a progressive unto a fulfillment of an outpouring, but there is a progressive outpouring until the day of the fulfillment, just like there's a release of the Spirit of the Tabernacle of David until the fulfillment. But we are in a moment right now of the release of dreams. And he's doing it all across the Muslim world. I mean, Islam. Oh, they're seeing the man in white. How is he doing it? He's doing it through the weakness of people asking him to release his will. And I'm watching what God's doing across the body, and I'm just, I'm blown away. Now, I want to give you this last thought. Because we've got to come to grips with how do we connect, how do we fit into the activity of the kingdom? What is our place in this massive, this grand thing God's doing and, 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 and that's called releasing the kingdom of God on the earth. What is our place? Well, clearly he's given us a mandate for night and day prayer, so we're saying yes to that. Thank you, Jesus. And now he's clearly giving us a mandate to send. And listen, I don't care if you're called to go, send, support, whatever, but whatever you're called to do, just do it. Like really do it with all your heart the grace that's yours. Now let me give you this, 1 Corinthians 3, because there's certain things are getting really clear for me. 1 Corinthians 3, come up on your screen, verse 10. I'm getting ready to land, here we go. Verse 10, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now stop there. So he says, he's talking about believers. He says, okay, 
the foundation of your spiritual life is Christ Jesus. The foundation of your spirituality is Jesus. That's the only foundation that works that gains you entrance to the kingdom. Saying yes to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the slain lamb who purchased you by his blood. That's it. That's the only way. That's the foundation. No other foundation can anyone lay. And then he says, now let every person be careful, take heed on what he builds on his own foundation. That's what he's saying. What he builds on his own foundation. And what I realize is this, the, the, the clarity that's coming to me is this. You have, you have a life, you've one life. And your life will be reviewed at the judgment seat of Christ. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the reviewing of the life. Now hear me, hear me on this. I want you to see all your thoughts, words, deeds. I want you to see the, the produce of your life as something you're going to offer to the Lord. The, the cumulative produce of it. The outcome. The composite of 70 or 80 or 50 or 40 or however many years you get. See all the activity of your life as one composite that you're offering to the Lord. And here's what he says. If anyone builds on this foundation, that's talking about the outflow, the outcome, the composite works of an individual's life, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. And it goes on to say, if it, it, if it is burned up, he will suffer loss, but himself will be saved. Now, here, here's what I want you to get around to. And this is what's dawning on me. The summary statement of my life will come down to this. Gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. All the activities of my life will come together and be crystallized in either gold, silver, and precious stones or all the activity of my life will be crystallized in wood, hay, and straw. The day will reveal it. That stuff will be hit by fire and whether or not it remains through the fire as something that is precious and valuable or something that is destroyed will be seen in that day. Every person who names the name of Christ will go through this process. Follow me. And so here, here's what I'm looking at. The entire trajectory of my life is, is going to eventually be crystallized. And either be precious to the Lord or ash. It has everything to do with whether or not you, you were faithful in saying yes to, your, to, to what he's asked you to do in the kingdom. It has everything to do with whether or not you were faithful in the kingdom. 
And I, and, and I look and I go, so what is going to end up equaling for me gold, silver, and precious stones? It's the composite of thousands of decisions for righteousness that will crystallize into gold or precious stones or thousands of decisions that will crystallize into wood, hay, and straw. And I used to think when I read this chapter, I used to think the gold, silver, and precious stones, if we lived faithfully, that was our reward, but that's not it at all. It says, the work which you build on it with gold, silver, and precious stones, that's work that you're building on the foundation of Christ, and that work will be, it will be tried by fire, and if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. The reward that the faithful person receives is not the gold, silver, and precious stones. It's something entirely different. There's crowns. There's robes. There's all sorts of things. A white stone with a name that no one knows. You get a, you get a pet name. There's all sorts of interesting things. Who gets the gold, silver, and precious stones? Jesus gets that. Follow me. of your life will be crystallized into either two categories, and those categories will be a gift that you offer to Jesus. Either something that he deems as precious, or something that when it's tried by fire, it's just worthless. And this is what it's boiling down to for me. I just want to live a life... I just want to live a life that at the end, I'm offering him something that's precious to him. And I, and I look at what he's given us to do together, and I go, okay, wow, night and day prayer, you gave us that. And wow, you know, a year in, I realize this is way beyond us. It's way beyond me. It's way beyond us, and he gives it to us. He gives us the grace and, and actually grace allows us to, to have a produce of our life that's far, far greater than any of our own efforts could ever have produced. I go, oh, we're saying this week, yes, and your grace is carrying us into being able to offer you 24-7 worship. And he goes, and I want to add something to that. I want to add unreached people groups. I want to add nations. I want to add peoples who right now hate my name, but I love them. And I want your efforts targeted to touch them and win them for me. And he's going to release grace to us to penetrate places that we've never dreamed. I'm convinced of it. He's, I, I know this sounds a little crazy. I think he's already given us Atlanta. Like, where I'm at in my faith is, Atlanta's done. It's ours. We stay faithful. We move forward. Atlanta is falling to the kingdom of God, period. That is a done deal. 
And now I feel like he's saying, have you considered the 1040 window? Have you considered, you know, Maldives, 0.01% believers? Have you considered Qatar? Have you considered Uzbekistan or Morocco, Tunisia? Have you considered, I don't know, Mexico? Have you considered Europe that's post-Christian? Have, have you considered these places that my heart longs for? See, we're going to stay faithfully pounding away in this place. And I tell you what, I don't find, I feel privileged, but I don't find glory running around nations. I found glory sitting in that little corner over there. Just praying to a God I can't see. Talking to him about it, how glorious he is and how I, I want him to release his kingdom on the earth. But he is going to take our little efforts and multiply them in such a massive way. It's the pressed down, shaken together, running over. I mean, it is that idea. When you give, he actually gives back. It's not just talking about money, blood. In fact, I think you can make a pretty strong one that that's not even talking about money. But he gives back. It's the activity of grace multiplying your efforts back to you in a way that you could have never accomplished. Here's where I'm at right now. I just, I just want to ask you, I want to challenge you, compel you into abandonment. Your, let me ask you this. Does your, is your life making sense as it relates to kingdom initiatives? Is it making sense? Is it making sense? Is the trajectory of your life making sense as it relates to this appointment you have when the composite of your life will be tried? See, we don't comprehend the initiatives of the kingdom of God. We will get off into so many left field, squirrely things that make no sense. We'll get all lost in churchianity and labels like this one and that one and denominational this and that and the Christian bingo club. And we won't have a clue that we haven't even pushed the ball forward in the kingdom an inch until we stand before him. I mean, I'm sure God can use Christian bingo. He can use anything. I'm not trying to point a finger at anything. But I'm just saying... Are we faithfully engaging with kingdom reality? I'm in this place right now where I want to sign up again wholeheartedly. I want to fast and pray. I want to, I want to govern and steward what he's given us here. And I want to ask him to touch nations. I want him to take Atlanta, take the southeast, take the nation and touch the nations. I want Jesus to have the glory, do his name. And let me tell you something, it's not right that in Ammon, Moab, Edom, Beirut, Sidon, Cairo, Turkey, and Istanbul, Turkey, that the name of Jesus is drowned out by a call for everybody to come and worship Allah. That is unjust. The greatest injustice in the earth is that the Son of God isn't given the glory to His name across the nations of the earth, beloved. And I mean, I'm into seeing justice things. I, I am into abortion being overturned and, and, and the end it campaign. I'm into that. But the greatest injustice is that Jesus isn't worshipped across the nations. And so I'm just, I'm just poking you and prodding you a little bit and saying, have you ordered your life in a way that makes sense? Have you ordered your life in a way that makes sense in light of the, the review that's coming? Are you abandoning yourself 
to offer him gold and silver and precious stones. And I'm just saying, if not, let's get rid of the petty. Let's get rid of the distracting. Let's get rid of the the American dream and the Western culture and all the things that have swirled us up in stuff that's going to end up in straw, offering him straw. I mean, really? I want to offer him straw. I want to offer him gold. Amen. Let's just stand. I'm talking to our staff. I'm talking to you, love, house of prayer. And I just, I want to call you to reset the trajectory of your life. What we do here matters. Oh, it's so weak. And, and I mean, no one comes out of this thing feeling cool, I tell you. I'm talking about hours, long hours in the prayer room. If you come out of long hours in the prayer room feeling cool, you haven't prayed. You come out of it going, I am so broken. But he uses our little weak cries and he actually, com- he, he takes them and he, he combines them together and he multiplies their effectiveness and he's shaking power bases. He's joining us together with a, a voice that's coming up from his bride from all over the nations of the earth. I am stunned by the moment we're living in. We've got to be alert and wake up to the moment. If you're like me at all and you're just feeling it in your heart, man, I just, I want to be abandoned. I want to give him a life that's gold. I want to build with jewels and precious stones that the outcome of my life would be a beautiful gift for Jesus. I just want to invite you forward. I just want to, I just want to pray together and ask the Lord to recalibrate the trajectory of our hearts. Some of you are supposed to go to the nations. It might be three years. We want to train you and send you. Some of you are senders and encouragers. I don't, you know, as of now, I don't feel like I'm supposed to go. I feel like I'm supposed to send. Just to sit in this room, pray, and send as many as I can. It's the best I can tell. But I want to say yes to that wholeheartedly. Jesus, Lord, here we are. We want to be a people abandoned to you. Fully yours, fully yours. Lord, those of us that are here in the prayer room, whether we're staff or not, God, we want to take the hours you've given us and this this opportunity in this place. We want to take it with, with the value and we want to honor it with the value that you described to it. I want to love you well, Jesus. The life offered to you. The outcome of our lives would be beauty. Really, beauty. Beloved, it's a thousand, a thousand little decisions. A thousand times a thousand little decisions. It's the daily little choices for righteousness that equals a faithful life. 
They crystallize in gold. I like what Stephen Eugen said to me one time. He said, is your decision today something you're going to be glad about in a million years? Are your daily decisions things you're going to be happy about when you have to give an account for them? Or when you have to live in the eternity of a life, the produce of your life now? Lord, here we are. Here we are. Have all of us, Jesus. All for 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 your beauty. All for your glory. All for your name. All for the the praise of your name. God, let not one of us imagine that an abandoned life in the kingdom equals our own stardom. Deliver us from the, the foolishness of American mentalities of success. God, deliver us from imagining that we're, if we're successful in America, it equals success and faithfulness in your kingdom. All for Jesus. All for Jesus. And God, whatever our part is in this, these agenda items in the kingdom right now, whatever our part is sending, going, serving, supporting, blessing, And however it plays out for us in this place, whether it's, you know, serving in the children's ministry or worshiping or just being in the prayer room or whatever, whatever our portion is, whatever our portion is, we want to do it with joy and gladness that we get to offer the king something of beauty. We offer the king something of beauty. Oh, beloved, I just want to give him something beautiful. to give him something beautiful. A life that's beautiful. The most fascinating idea is that my life in my own hands is a shambles. I'm the destroyer of my own life, but by his grace, he enables me to offer him beauty. He's taken my ashes. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just, right now, just with the Lord, sign up again, say yes again, whatever the, whatever the invitation from heaven is, whatever he's put before you, say yes again. If there's nations on your heart, say yes. If it's just being in the prayer room, say yes. If it's just serving yourself out of your own self-preferences, say yes, whatever it is. A thousand decisions for righteousness, A thousand decisions for his kingdom crystallize ultimately one day in precious stones. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just worship the Lord.